Chapter Nineteen of War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Anna Simon. War by Pierre Lotti. Translated by Marjorie Laurie. Chapter Nineteen. The Death Bearing Gas. November nineteen fifteen. It is a place of horror, conceived, it might be thought, by Dante. The air is heavy, stifling. Two or three nightlights, which seem to be afraid of shining too brightly, scarcely pierce the vaporous, overheated darkness, which exhales an odour of sweat and fever. Busy people are whispering there anxiously, but the principal sound that is heard is an agonised gasping for breath. This gasping comes from a number of cots, in rows, touching one another, on which are lying human forms their chests heaving with rapid and laboured breathing, lifting the bedclothes as though the moment of the death rattle had come. This is one of our advanced field hospitals, improvised as best might be the day after one of the most damnable abominations committed by the Germans. The nature of their affliction made it impossible to transfer all these sons of France, from whom seems to come the noise of the death rattle without hope of recovery, to a place farther away. This large hall with dilapidated walls was yesterday a wine-cellar for storing barrels of champagne. These cots, about fifty in number, were made in feverish haste of branches which still retain their bark, and they resemble the kind of furniture in our gardens that we call rustic. But why is there this heat, in which it is almost impossible to draw a natural breath pouring out from those stoves? The reason for it is, that it is never hot enough for the lungs of persons who have been asphyxiated. And this darkness? Wherefore this darkness, which gives a Dantesque aspect to this place of torment, and which must be such a hindrance to the gentle white-gowned nurses? It is because the barbarians are there in their burrows, quite near this village, with the shattering of whose houses and church spire they have more than once amused themselves, and if, at the gloomy fall of a November night, through their ever-watchful field-glasses they saw a range of lighted windows indicating a long hall, they would at once guess that there was a field-hospital, and shells would be showered down upon the humble cots. It is well known, this preference of theirs for shelling hospitals, Red Cross convoys, churches. And so there is scarcely light enough to see through that misty vapour which rises from water boiling in pans. Every minute nurses fetch huge black balloons, and the patients nearest to suffocation stretch out their poor hands for them. They contain oxygen, which eases the lungs and alleviates the suffering. Many of them have these black balloons resting on chests panting for breath, and in their mouths they are holding eagerly the tube through which the life-saving gas escapes. They are like big children with feeding bottles. It adds a kind of grisly burlesque to these scenes of horror. Asphyxia has different effects upon different constitutions, and calls for variety in treatment. Some of the sufferers, lying almost naked on their beds, are covered with cupping-glasses, or painted all over with tincture of iodine. Others even, these, alas, are very seriously affected indeed, others are all swollen, chest, arms, and face, and resemble toy figures of blown-up gold-beater's skin. Toy figures of gold-beater's skin children with feeding-bottles. Although these comparisons alone are true, yet indeed it seems almost sacrilege to make use of them when the heart is wrung with anguish, 
and you are ready to weep tears of pity and of wrath. But may these comparisons, brutal as they are, engrave themselves all the more deeply upon the minds of men by reason of their very unseemliness, to foster there for a still longer time indignant hatred and a thirst for holy reprisals. For there is one man who spent a long time preparing all this for us, and this man still goes on living. He lives, and since remorse is doubtless foreign to his vulturine soul, he does not even suffer, unless it be rage at having missed his mark, at least for the present. Before thus unloosing death upon the world, he had coldly combined all his plans, had foreseen everything. But nevertheless supposing, he said to himself, my great rhinoceros-like onrushes and my vast apparatus of carnage were by some impossible chance to hurl itself in vain against a resistance too magnificent. In that case I should dare, perhaps, calculating on the weakness of neutral nations, I should dare, perhaps, to defy all the laws of civilization and to use other means. At all hazards let us be prepared. And, to be sure, the onrush failed, and timidly at first, fearing universal indignation, he tried asphyxiation, after exerting himself, be it understood, to mislead public opinion, accusing, with his customary mendacity, France of having been the originator. His cynical hope was justified. There has been, alas, no general arousing of the human conscience. No more at this than at earlier crimes, organized pillage, destruction of cathedrals, outrage, massacres of children and women, have the neutral nations stirred. It seems indeed as if the crafty, ferocious, deathly look of his gorgon-like or medusa-like head had frozen them all to the spot, and at the present hour in which I am writing, the last to be turned to stone by the medusa glare of the monster is that unfortunate king of Greece, inconsistent and bungling, who is trembling on the brink of a precipice of most terrible crimes. That some nations remain neutral from fear, that, indeed, is comprehensive enough. But that nations, otherwise held in the highest repute, can remain pro-German in sentiment, passes our understanding. By what arts have they been blinded, these nations? By what slanders, or by what bribe? Our dear soldiers with their seared lungs, gasping on their rustic cots, seem grateful when, following in the major's footsteps, someone approaches them, and they look at the visitor with gentle eyes when he takes their hand. Here is a man all swollen, doubtless unrecognizable by those who had only seen him before his terrible turgidity, and if you touch his poor distended cheeks, however lightly, the fingers feel the crackling of the gases that have infiltrated between skin and flesh. "'Come, he is better than he was this morning,' says the major, and in a low voice meant for the nurse's ear, he continues, "'This man too, nurse, I am beginning to think that we shall save.' but you must not leave him alone for one moment on any account. Oh, what unnecessary advice, for she has not the smallest intention of leaving him alone, this white-gowned nurse, whose eyes have already black rings around them, the result of a watch of forty-eight hours without a break. Not one of them will be left alone, oh, no. To be sure of this, it is sufficient to glance at all those young doctors and all those nurses, somewhat exhausted, it is true, but so attentive and brave, who will never let them out of their sight." and, thank heaven, nearly all of them will be saved. Footnote, 
Of six hundred who were gassed that night, more than five hundred are out of danger. End footnote. As soon as they are well enough to be moved, they will be taken far away from this Gehenna at the front, where the Kaiser's shells delight to hurl themselves upon the dying. They will be put more comfortably to bed in quiet field hospitals, where indeed they will suffer greatly for a week, a fortnight, a month, but whence they will emerge without excessive delay, better advised, more prudent, in haste to return once more to the battle. It may be said that the scheme of gas attacks has failed, like the other scheme of attacks, in great savage onrushes. The result was not what the Gorgon's head had expected, and yet with what accurate calculation the time for these attacks has been selected, always at the most favourable moment. It is well known that the Germans, past masters of the art of spying, and always informed of everything, never hesitated to choose for their attacks of whatever kind days of relief hours when newcomers in the trenches opposite to them are still in the disorder of their arrival so on the evening on which the last crime was committed six hundred of our men had just taken up their advanced position after a long and tiring march suddenly in the midst of a volley of shells which surprised them in their first sleep they could distinguish here and there little cautious sibilant sounds as if made stealthily by sirens this was the death-bearing gas which was diffusing itself around them, spreading out its thick, gloomy, grey clouds. At the same time their signal light suddenly ceased to throw out through that mist more than a little dim illumination. Then, distracted, already suffocating, they remembered too late those masks which had been given them, and in which, in any case, they had no faith. They were awkward in putting them on, some of them feeling the scorching of their bronchia, urged by an irresistible impulse of self-preservation, even yielded to a desire to run, and it was these who were most terribly affected, for, breathing deeply in the effort of running, they inhaled vast quantities of chlorine gas. But another time they will not let themselves be caught in this way, neither these nor any others of our soldiers. Wearing masks hermetically closed, they will station themselves immovably around piles of wood, prepared beforehand, when sudden flames will arise, neutralizing the poisons in the air, and the upshot of it all will be hardly more than an uncomfortable hour, unpleasant while it lasts, but almost always without fatal result. It is true that in those accursed dens, which are their laboratories, Germany's learned men, convinced now that the neutral nations will acquiesce in anything, are making every effort to discover worse poisons still for us, but until they have found them, as on so many other occasions, the Gorgon gaze will have missed its mark. So much is certain. We, alas, have as yet found no means of returning them a sufficiently cruel equivalent. We have no defence other than the protective mask which, however, is being perfected day by day. And, after all, in the eyes of neutral nations, if they still have eyes to see, it is perhaps more dignified to make use of nothing else. At the same time, how very different our position would be if we succeeded in asphyxiating them too, these plunderers, assassins, aggressors, who broke into our country like burglars, and who, despairing of ever bursting through our lines, attempt to smoke us out ignominiously in our own home, in our own dear country of France, as they might smoke out rabbits in their burrows, rats in their holes. No language of man had ever anticipated such transcendent acts of infamy which would revolt the most degraded cannibals, and so there are no names for such acts. Our poor victims of their gas, panting for breath in their cots, 
how ardently I wish that I could exhibit them to all the world, to their fathers, sons, and brothers, to excite in them a paroxysm of sacred indignation and thirst for vengeance. Yes, exhibit them everywhere, to let everyone hear the death rattle, even those neutral nations who are so impassive, and to convict of obtuseness or of crime all those obstinate pacifists, and to sound throughout the world the alarm against the barbarians who are in eruption all over Europe. End of chapter 19